Revelation, the 22nd chapter, the final uh, chapter in the Apocalypse of John. This morning, with God's help, we will be considering the first two verses of the 22nd chapter. Saints of God, give your attention now to the reading of the law of God, for this is God's very word, which is faithful and true. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb of God. In the middle of its street, on either side of the river, was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. May God add a blessing to the reading of his word, and now to the preaching of his word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are thankful that you have given to us, Lord, grace to reach now this final chapter. Lord, help us as you have helped us in times past. Help us to hear, help us to see, help us to understand, help us to believe and to love. Gracious Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, be with us as we consider the river of life and the tree of life. I decrease that you may increase. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing unto you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, saints of God, I greet you in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we now uh, approach the 22nd chapter of the Apocalypse of John. Last, last Lord's Day. We were blessed to consider the church glorified. In the 21st chapter, the Apostle John marvels at the dazzling beauty of the glory of the church that he sees as a city coming down from heaven. John uses a number of features that are found in ancient cities like walls and gates foundations and streets, all of them are symbols of the perfection, of the beauty, of the glory, strength, and fortitude of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. All of those are symbols. She will be, the church will be like a crystal clear stone that refracts light that is emanating from God and emanates this light as if it were her own light. In the light, the church shall see light and reflect the light of the glory of God for all time without end. The church shall be glorified. The church shall be holy. There will be no spot or stain or wrinkle within the glorified church of Christ. Her steps shall be purer than streets of gold. For she will walk in righteousness, and every inclination of her heart will be for the love of God. John sees that her walls are unscalable and impenetrable. There will be no enemies that will trespass the church of Christ. There will be no enemies trespassing in the new creation. The church will not be invaded, either in her heart or in her minds, for all time without end. That means that, that no sin shall ever tempt the church of Christ ever again. No tempter will be present to tempt her ever again. She will have her gates, guarded by holy angels, open without any fear of any intruder breaking in through her impenetrable wall or scaling her unscalable wall in order to tempt her into sin. The church will be holy for all time, and in the eternal state she will be impeccable. Not only will she not be tempted to sin, she will not be able to sin. She will be made like Christ, impeccable, unable to sin. John sees that the church, who is built on the teachings of the apostles from Christ and the prophets, is built upon a rock, that cannot be shaken. And John goes from showing the glory 
of the strength of the church to now in the 22nd chapter, the fullness of abundant life. The fullness of abundant life as she is satisfied by the giver of life. With God's help this morning, we have just two points and we are going to consider just two aspects that give to us this abundant life. Number one, the river of life and number two, the tree of life. So let's deal with these um, in order. Number one, the tree of life. Verse number one. Then he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and from the Lamb of God in the middle of the street. Saints, the angel who has been giving John these visions has just one more vision to show for John. The final camera angle, if you remember that phrase, it focuses on images of abundant life or images of the abundant life. Images of refreshment, images of nourishment, images of healing that the Lord will provide for his people through the symbolism of the river of life and the tree of life. John is shown first a river of life that is clear as crystal and it finds its source from God's throne and from the Lamb. This flowing river, this living river finds its its source, finds um, the place from which this water flows from the throne of God. Uh, there are uh, many biblical antecedents to this vision, but the two that, that John wants our minds to be drawn to are from Genesis and from the book of Ezekiel. First, from Genesis, the, the, when the, where the river flowed out of Eden to the garden of God. It flowed out of Eden into the, the garden of God. I think this is important for us to say. We have gone into the 21st chapter. We've gone now. We're going now into the 22nd chapter. And here's what John does not want the hearers to, to do. John does not want us to think that the new creation is the Garden of Eden. Pause for a second, right? John wants us to think about the Garden of Eden. But John does not want us to think that the new creation is the Garden of Eden. I'm going to, I hope, prove that. John does not want his hearers to conclude that the new creation is the Garden of Eden all over again, or that God will bring the church back to the Garden of Eden. Listen, listen to how I say this. When all things were perfect. Why? Because all things were not exactly perfect in the Garden of Eden. When you think about what's heaven or the new creation going to be like, let us not conclude like the Garden of Eden, because the Garden of Eden was not perfect. It was good, right? It was good. The first creation was a good creation, but the first creation possessed the potential to be corrupted. The first creation possessed the potential to be cor corrupted. We know this because it, it was corrupted. Sin entered into God's good creation and into the Garden of Eden. So John is not saying that we will be returned to the Garden of Eden only now without the potential of corruption. Does that make sense? He's not saying we're going back to the Garden except now we won't be tempted to be corrupted. No, John is also, here's why I'm saying this, because the Garden had literal water. And John is not saying that the water coming from the throne of God is actual water. Okay? There are trees, actual literal trees in the Garden of Eden. John is not saying there will be actual literal trees in the new creation. We've already discussed this, haven't we? Or any other feature that is found in the garden, save one feature, will be in the new creation. There is one feature about the garden that will be in the new creation, which is what John is trying to get us to see. The new creation is not the garden city been used that way i've been reading i've been pouring over commentaries this past week and i constantly see this garden city it's not a garden city the there's imagery used of a garden imagery used of a city but it's not an actual city and it's not an actual garden right okay 
Rather, John is using elements of the garden in order to communicate two things. The glory of God and his glorified people that are nourished and satisfied in him for all time. The garden is utilized by John because, here's why, here's the feature. Because the garden was the first temple on earth. And the new creation will be God's final temple. That's the connection that John wants us to make between the garden and the new creation. Is that there is a, a, a way in which the garden was nourished. And it was able to flourish and it's because of God. In the new creation, there's a way in which the, the church will be nourished and be able to flourish and it will be because of God. That's the connection that John wants us to make between Garden of Eden and new creation. It also, um, because it's a temple, it's God's unique dwelling place. It is the unique place of God's special presence. The Garden of Eden was a temple. A temple is a place where God reveals his unique presence. In the new creation, God will reveal, um, to the fullest extent, if you will, his, his, the fullness of his presence to his people. He will be among us. Verse, uh, 20, chapter 21, verse 3. Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. Verse 22. I saw, listen, listen to the word tabernacle in verse 3, and then 20, and then 22, chapter 21, let me slow down. Chapter 21, verse 22. Look, look at the, the language there. And I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Verse 3, John uses the word tabernacle. Verse 22, John uses the word temple. And now in chapter 22, John is using images from the Garden of Eden, connecting all three holy places to this final holy place. You with me? There's the temple, there's the tabernacle, there's the Garden of Eden. John is hoping that we're going to make all of these connecting dots to the final new creation, which is the temple of God, just as all three of those were. The second connection, so Garden of Eden, the second connection that John wants his hearers to make from this about this river is from Ezekiel's vision in chapter 47 of the prophet Ezekiel's book, where there was a river that was ensuing from below the threshold of the end time temple. That's the, the new creation. Ezekiel saw water flowing from the eastward facing threshold of the house of God, but also Ezekiel is seeing, don't get lost here, Ezekiel is seeing that there's water everywhere. Ezekiel is seeing something about what, what the new creation will be. He's seeing, he's seeing there's water everywhere. The prophet is beckoned to enter into the waters. As he enters into the water, it, it goes from ankle deep to knee deep to so deep that the waters are deep enough for him to swim in. It's everywhere. And then he watches an angel. As the angel begins to, to measure the, the depth of the river. And the angel begins to measure the depth, the, the depth by 1,000 cubit intervals. That means uh, the angel is measuring this river with every 1,750 feet. And the river just keeps getting deeper and deeper. What the angel is doing is he is trying to gather a fathom. He's trying to fathom the depth of the river. He's trying to see, that's what a fathom is. A fathom is when you drop to see how deep something is. And it's turning out that there, the, the river cannot be fathomed because there is no bottom to the river. It's a strange river. The river, it, it, it grows in depths and it grows in depths without tributaries. That means it's growing in depth and it only has one source. It's not gaining water from this river and gaining water from this river or that source and this source. It has one source. And yet with this one source, its depth cannot even be fathomed. Which causes us to say, how great must the source of this water be? That it is able to fill the land. Watch this. It fills the land. Its depth cannot be fathomed. There is no bottom to this river. And also... It reaches 
well, let me say it this way. And also, to every place that it reaches, it brings life. It has one source. It needs no other sources. It has no no bottom. Its depth cannot be fathomed. And also to, to all who, who taste or who are touched by this water. Wherever this water goes, it brings life. Ezekiel sees there's that kind of water in the new creation. Listen to this, Ezekiel chapter 47, verse 8. These waters, listen to these words, right? These waters go out toward the eastern region and go down. Go, they, they go down, not up, they go down. Into, listen, listen to this place, the Arabah. Don't let that go past your mind. Then they go toward the sea, being made to flow into the sea, and the waters of the sea become fresh. It will come about that every living creature which swarms in every place where the river goes will live. The river in this vision was like unlike any other river that ever flowed. The water of this river finds its source from God and wherever it goes or to whomever it touches or to whatever it touches, it gives life. It flows down down into the Araba. Down because... Down is where deserted places are. Down is where, essentially, we would call desert places or dead things are. Water from the throne of God flows into these deserted places and causes that which is normally a wasteland to be a, a thriving oasis of life. For things to, that are in deserted places to flourish. I hope that you're catching the connection. Listen to this. Water flows into the Arabah. In the Old Testament, those who are reading the Old Testament would have known exactly what or where the Arabah was. It was a place, it was a sea, listen to watch, then follow the conclusion. It was a sea that was believed to have been flourishing at one point. A, a place where um, sea creatures and other animals thrived until that region was struck by the judgment of God as he rained down fire and brimstone on Sodom and Gomorrah. You know that place as the Dead Sea. Ezekiel is saying that water from God flows down to the Dead Sea and causes that and causes that dead, um, dying sea to thrive and to flourish. Now, Ezekiel is not saying that the actual Dead Sea will live again. Instead, he is saying that wherever God goes, God gives life. That God's water, God's spirit, wherever His spirit, to whomever His spirit touches, He gives life. Here's what John is doing. John is taking the prophecy from John is taking the narrative from Genesis and the prophecy from Ezekiel and he is bringing them together and giving them their full meaning. That's why we need to know the scriptures, right? John is taking Genesis and he's taking Ezekiel and he's bringing them into the new creation and he's saying this is the meaning of those two things. The city, the church and God have been made the the the, the city is the church of God. And God has made it the holy of holies. With me? Yeah? The very place where the fullness of His presence is. And because God is there with His people, they are watered, or they are refreshed by the river of life that comes from God, or because of His life source giving to us life. Because we will be in God's presence, we will be eternally refreshed as we are refreshed by the purest of waters. River has flown into desolate wastelands. What is this desolate wasteland? You and I are the desolate wastelands. You and I were the ones who were dead. And God has um, brought his spirit to us. And because of his spirit, we have been made alive, and not just alive, but thriving. And not just thriving, but living an abundant life. And not just an abundant life, the God kind of life. This water has no other source, which means no one else, nothing else can do this for us. Nothing else in all of creation can cause us to thrive and to live an abundant life the way God can cause us to live an abundant, thriving life. It flows from one perfect source. One perfect source. And we taste of this perfect water. We, we taste of this crystal clear water. It is living water. It is satisfying water. It is um, refreshing water. 
for all who take of it. John 4, you know the story. Pastor Isaiah teached a, a taught, preached a wonderful sermon on this. Our Lord requested water from a Samaritan woman who was drawing water from Jacob's well. Now, I want you to follow this. This woman is confused at the request and essentially asked the Lord Jesus, do you know who I am and do you know who you are? That's reading over it again. The question she's asking is, do you know who I am? And do you know who you are? She says, I'm a Samaritan. You're a Jew. Do you know who I am? And do you know who you are? And John actually gives us clarity on this. He says, Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So when Jesus approaches her, she says, do you know who I am? Do you know who you are? This interaction is not supposed to be. So the woman is questioning the knowledge of Christ. And Christ reveals just how much he actually knows, doesn't he? Verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman questioned the knowledge of our Lord and the Lord questions the knowledge of the woman. The woman says, do you know who I am? And Jesus says, do you know who I am? He knows exactly who he is and he knows exactly who she is. Uh, later, she will run into the town and say to the whole town, come and see a man who told me everything I've ever done. Come and see a man who knows me. And if the woman knew who she had been asking, who, who it was who was asking water from her, then she would have asked him for water. And Jesus said that he would have given her not just water. Jesus said, I would have given to you living water. That is, if Christ would have given to her, now watch this, water greater than the water that she was drawing from, from Jacob's well. Jesus says, I know, oh, not I know, Jesus says, I have better water than the water that you're drawing from. I have living water. Confused, the woman thought that Jesus was simply talking about a fresher place to find water. You mean that there's a better well? Not only this, but we've been drawing from this well since the days of Jacob. This water has been been refreshing animals and humans for centuries. You know of a better well? And Jesus says to her in John 4, 4.12, or she says to Jesus, You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us this well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? She cannot imagine a better source. She has no knowledge of who it is who's before her, does she? You can't be greater than Jacob, can you? Jesus said in chapter 4, verse 13, Jesus answered her and said, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never thirst again. But the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The Lord explains to the woman that the water that he offers does not give life for a day. But the water that he offers is able to give life, and, and not just give life, but to give life more abundantly for all time. The water is the spirit to whom he gives to those who freely ask. Saints of God, have you tasted of this water? Many of us have water bottles near us. Have you tasted of this water from Christ? Has his water, the spirit of God, poured over your soul and brought life where there was only death? Do you know the abundant life, the, the God kind of life that, that comes forth from knowing and believing in Christ? Has he showered you with his living water? In Revelation 22, water flows from God's throne and from the Lamb and it nourishes, it satisfies. It also, um, we'll get to this, it heals the people of God for all time without end. They will, the people of God, the church will symbolically drink. And, and when they drink... There will be no need for another drink. They will be eternally satisfied. Imagine taking one drink and that one drink satisfies you for all. You don't, you don't need another. We're talking about symbolically, of course. Here's another thing that we should talk about. Drinking and eating. We did talk about how there will be no drinking or eating in the new creation, right? 
No, there will not be. We will be satisfied by God for all time. There will not be any created thing that will need to sustain us. God will sustain us. Think of the most refreshing drink that you ever have ever had. You thinking about it? We, we sit around our table at, at dinner and we like to ask ourselves different favorites. What's your favorite drink? Which was our, our last question we had around the table. What's your favorite drink that you can just continue to drink without end? Around my table, it's always lemonade. It cannot compare to the refreshing satisfaction we have in Christ. Not even close. Think of the most refreshing water that you have ever swam in. You're thinking about it? The clearest uh, the kind of water that, that even while you're in it, you might take a sip and say, this is this is refreshing. My son might be thinking of Thule River. Some of you might be thinking of another rich source. Some of you might be thinking of, of water from glaciers. It cannot compare to the water that we have, the refreshing um, joy that we have in Christ. They are but a taste from God so that you might look unto him who is infinitely greater. Dear one, there is no created thing that God would give such honor to, especially not water that will satisfy us for all time, except for him. John sees that God himself is the one who nourishes God's people, that God satisfies his people, that God brings healing to his people. The Lord Jesus Christ offered life to this woman, eternal life to this Samaritan woman, and promises that if she were to take this water, that she would never thirst again, and that God would satisfy her for all time. It is what the church in heaven and in the new creation will experience for all time. It is not, it is providential though, isn't it? That it is John who, through the Spirit of God, penned the words of our Lord. John 7, 37 if anyone is thirsty, the one who wrote Revelation is also the one who pins these words. If anyone is thirsty, come, let him come to me and drink. Jesus says, come to him and drink. Jesus does not even say in this particular uh, uh, portion, come to me and, and I will give you water. Jesus says, come to him and drink, drink from him, drink from Christ. He says, for in his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. He who believes in Christ, for within us will flow rivers of living water. Come to Christ and drink. Come to Christ and drink. Christ invites all to come to him. Water is most often a reference of the Holy Spirit. And Christ is the sender of the Spirit who gives life. Revelation 22, there is a picture of the Father and of the son who is, who is, just, who is called the lamb upon the throne and from the, the father and the son come the spirit. And that is a sermon that could be left for Pastor Isaiah, just that verse. But in that we see that abundant life comes from our triune God. And dear ones, this water is available to all who call upon the name of Christ. John is communicating that God is the source of life. And he is the refreshment that flows to his people for all eternity. He will pour out his spirit and his life overcomes death. He will satisfy the thirst of his people. Our lips will never grow dry. Our throats will never be parched from lack of water. Christ will bring life. And not just life, but abundant life. Everlasting life. Eternal life for those who come to him and drink. Growing up, there was a song that we used to sing called I've Got a River of Life. Very, very simple song, but I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. Spring up, oh well, within my soul. Spring up, oh, oh well. And make me whole. Saints of God, this is the abundant life that we are given by Christ. Psalm 46, verse 4. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. 
the holy places, the holy dwelling places of the Most High. And God is in the midst of her. She will not be moved. Christ gives us this water and He is the well. Our triune God will be in the center of this city. The city is the church. And He will nourish and refresh us for all time without end. Saints of God, I implore you, drink from the river of life, which is Christ. Question number, point number two, the tree of life. I have a confession to make as I get into the tree of life, this portion. This particular verse gave me um, great anxiety over the past week because I simply did not know the answer. And what the commentators were saying, I just, I didn't think that was it. I could have saved myself a lot of grief because on Friday I worked with Pastor Isaiah and I shared with him my anxiety and struggle. And I said I was trying to find the answer. And before I could give to him what I thought the answer was, he gave me the answer. And I said, I should have just called you and I could have saved myself a week of stress and anxiety. But let's find it out together. Verse number two. On the other side of the river was the tree of life, bearing 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the trees were for the healing of the nations. Once again, John wants his hearers to make the connection between the tree of life and the tree in the Garden of Eden and Ezekiel's prophecy. But once again, John does not want his hearers to think that the new creation is the Garden of Eden. Hear that again. John wants us to think about the garden, but not to think that the new creation is the garden. But that in the new creation, the tree in the garden and the tree in Ezekiel's prophecy, they reach their fullest meaning. John sees that the crystal clear water flowing from the throne in the middle of the city on the sides of the river and along its bank, there is the tree of life. It's interesting because John sees this tree and it's on both sides of the river. This tree, however it grows... Um, and listen, this is symbolic. However, this tree grows, it's um, it's 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 as if John is saying this tree is everywhere. It's on both sides of the of the river. It's in the middle of the city. This tree is everywhere. Not only that, but this tree that is present in the middle of the city, it yields twelve kinds of fruit every month. Every month, there is a different kind of fruit. And its leaves are given for the healing of the nations. Now let's do this. Let's do, let's, let me help you. Let's, let me share with me in my anxiety for the week. What is this tree? <laughs> That's a question I wrestled with. Well, let us begin with what this tree is not. This tree is not the tree from the tree in the tree of life in the Garden of Eden. The tree of life in the new creation is not the same tree of life from the Garden of Eden. I don't think so. That, that tree, the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, Eden, was a covenantal tree that was specifically for the covenant between God and Adam. The tree, this tree in the new creation, is a different tree of life than the one in Eden. But the tree of life in Eden teaches us something about the tree of life in the new creation. That is, that the Edenic tree pointed to, here's what the Edenic tree was, it pointed to God who gives abundant life and eternal rest. That's what the tree in the Garden of Eden was to represent. There was nothing inherently salvific about the tree of life in, the, in Eden. Meaning, the Edenic tree did not have the ability to give salvation or eternal life. Rather, it was a symbol of abundant life and eternal rest given to Adam from God if he passed his, his, his test of faith and obedience. Does that make sense? The tree of life in the garden was a trophy, as it were, of Adam's faith and obedience. But it did not give eternal life. It did not give salvation. It was a trophy. It was something that Adam could enjoy that represented Life and rest. The tree of life was not the fountain of youth in fruit form. If I could just find the tree of life, if I could eat of it, then I'll live forever. That's not what the tree of life is. It's what we've been, it's what we've been taught that it is, but it's not what it is. 
It is a sign of completed work accomplished by faith and obedience, which Adam failed to receive. Now, let's skip um, books and chapters and finally come to the very end. Here in Revelation 22, there is another tree of life. And it is also a symbol of abundant life and eternal rest for all who come to listen to this to it. I'm going to I'm going to change that phrasing in a little bit. Jesus promises in Revelation 2, 7 to him who overcomes, I will grant to eat of the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Lord Jesus, what is he doing with this tree of life then? Are we actually eating? No. Christ, just as it is true throughout all of the book of Revelation, is using the tree of life as a symbol, not as something literal. A symbol to communicate to who? To the church who overcomes as he overcame that there is abundant life and rest for those who overcome in heaven and in the new creation. Persevere, he's saying. Persevere. There is life ahead of you. There is rest ahead of you. And he uses that life and rest symbolically with the tree. But we must remember that Christ has gone before us, hasn't he? Because Christ has died, we also have died. Follow this. He has gone before us. Because Christ has risen, we too, if we trust in Christ, we shall be raised because Christ has gone before us. Christ has entered into glory and rest. And if we are in Christ, and we too shall enter into glory and rest because Christ has gone before us. Right? The tree of life in the new creation is a symbol of life and rest for those who are in, who are in Christ. But there's more to this tree of life that John sees. John sees that this tree bears not one kind of fruit for all time, but 12 kind of fruits, 12 kinds of fruit for every month of the year. Once again, 12 is the is meant to represent completeness or perfection. This tree is giving completeness or perfection of of um of satisfaction and of nourishment to God's people. John sees that this tree gives abundant provision or spiritual nourishment for the bride of Christ, the church. John sees it in heaven and in, in the new creation. This tree gives 12 kinds of fruits so that it satisfies every holy longing that the church could ever want. John sees that there will never be a dry season. That this tree gives fruit 12 months out of 12 months of the year. There is no such thing as time in heaven. But what is being communicated is that for all eternity, we will never cease to be um, satisfied. That, that, that this tree will, we will never cease to be satisfied because this tree will never cease to yield abundant fruit. You ever go into your cabin, a cabinet, your fridge, and you go, there's nothing here. <laughs> and there's things that if you're creative, you could put together, but... They're just harder to put together, and you go, there's just nothing in here. There's noodles, there's sauces, there's, but no meat, right? You don't, you can't put it all together, right? There's, remember what they said, cereal, no milk, only water, all that. It, it doesn't come together, right? John is saying that for all time, there will never come a time where we will um, say, I'm lacking something. We will never in the new creation be bored or tired of what is provided for us. We think about that. Is heaven just going to be this? John is saying, you will never grow tired of what you are being given in the new creation. We will never be like those who rebelled in the desert, who were given manna from heaven and who had grown tired of God's provision and who had longed for pots of meat that they used to sit around and eat in Egypt while they were in bondage. That won't be us. We will not long for the delights of earth, but we will eternally be satisfied and nourished by the diversity of blessings, I like that phrase, diversity of blessings and satisfaction in God. You cannot even, we cannot, I cannot even begin to fathom the kind of blessings, the diverse blessings that we will be enjoying, not growing tired of, for all time without end. Saints of God, don't look at our worship services as they are um, presently constructed and say, um, heaven is going to just be a long church service in the way that we are doing it. And I don't, I don't know if I enjoy that all the time. Well, there are tastes of heaven that are being given to us. 
There are um, elements of heaven that are being given to us as we gather for worship to, to cause us to long for heaven. This should be sweet. This should be enjoyable. Our liturgy should be something that lifts you up. The preaching of the word should be something that, that encourages you. Uh, it motivates you onward. The, the sacraments of the Lord's Supper and baptism should be something that is sweet and that, that fortifies your faith. But let me say to you, there will be no baptism in heaven. There will be no supper in heaven as we experience it now. You, I won't be preaching to you anymore. Things will be different in heaven. What we are doing now is to give you a taste of heaven and to push you onward into it. But what you will know in heaven will be the fullness of what we taste here on earth. We will not grow tired of God. You will not grow tired of Christ. But John sees that the, the, that the tree not only nourishes us, and, and, uh, and if you can imagine 12 different kinds, he, he's not saying you're going to eat, he's saying that you're going to Constantly be satisfied with God. John sees that the leaves of this tree will be given for the healing of the nations. Not only is there fruit that is satisfying from this tree, but also its leaves. The leaves in the new creation of this tree of life, they are medicinal. And they are provided for the healing of the nations. To which John wants you to think of Ezekiel. Ezekiel 47, 11. By the river on its bank, on one side and on the other, will grow all kinds of trees for food. Their leaves will not wither and their fruit will not fail. They will bear every month because their water flows from the sanctuary and their fruit will be for the food and for their, and their leaves for the healing of the nations. The leaves of this tree heal our sicknesses. Our infirmities. And our infirmity was sin. But this tree has leaves that when they are applied to the soul of the believer, make our sins, though they were as scarlet, white as snow. Every sin removed. Every scar erased. Every painful memory no longer recalled. These leaves are given for the healing of the nations. Who come together and make one nation, the Church of Christ. The only scars that remain in the new creation will be the scars from the one who was wounded and by whose stripes we are healed. His scars remain, for they are his trophies, trophies of his triumph. Dear saints of God, this is quite a tree, isn't it? This tree is first called a tree of life. And this tree has the ability to satisfy with the variety of blessings. It is never fruitless, and its trees are medicinal. They heal us. No, we won't be eating. God will sustain us for all time. So then what is this tree? Well, I think the appropriate answer is, or question is, who is this tree? Who is this tree of life? Psalm chapter 1 and verse 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of, of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. Listen to, the, listen to this blessed man. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on it, on his law, he meditates day and night. And because this man is blessed and does this, he will be like a tree Firmly planted by the streams of water, which yield its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And with, in whatever he does, he prospers. Mm. Brothers and sisters, who is this blessed man? 
or if we were in the old church, I might look, I might tell you, look to your neighbor, look to a man and say, you're not the blessed man. I might tell you to look to your other neighbor and say, and tell your other neighbor behind you, just so that he doesn't feel lonely, that, that, that he's not the blessed man either. <laughs> who is this blessed man that does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the place of sinners? Who is this man who whose delight is in the law of God, who meditates on God's law day and night? If your answer is the Lord Jesus Christ, then you, my friend, are correct. Christ is the blessed man. Christ is the man who is blessed, and because of the way that he lives in righteousness, he is like a tree who yields fruit and whose leaves do not wither. He is the tree that is planted by the rivers of water. He is the blessed man of Psalm 1. And let me just say to this, if you're ever trying to find an answer to a hard question in the Bible, go and dig up the dead guys. They're more likely to give you the answer. Spurgeon, we believe our Lord Jesus Christ to be none other than the tree of life whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. We can scarcely conceive of any other interpretation as this seems to us to be the full, to be so full of meaning and to afford to us such unspeakable satisfaction. Um, Francis Turretin, Christ is the true tree of life because as mediator, he is the prince of life, giving life to the world and eternal life in heaven by glory. For he is the resurrection and the life who will most certainly bestow upon his own eternal life us, his own eternal life. Truly, he is the only tree because no one except Christ is the author of eternal life, nor is there salvation in any other. No one except Christ is in the midst of paradise and in the street of the city. Christ is in the midst of the church as a more honorable and suitable place to be near all, near us all and to diffuse his, his vivifying power among all, to be seen by all as a center in which all lines of faith and love ought to meet, that they acquiesce in him. Christ is the tree of life. Was Christ the tree of life in the Garden of Eden? No, different tree. Meant something of the same, but Christ is the tree of life in the new creation. When tempted by Satan, our Lord resisted him each time with what? It is written, it is written, it is written. He did not take delight in what Satan could offer him, but his delight was in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditated day and night. Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He is the blessed man. His meat was to do the will of the Father. His words were the words of the Father. Never once was the will of God nor the word of God a burden for him. But our Christ proclaimed that he came to do the will of his Father. He is the blessed man who gives himself to the tree of death so that in dying, and in his rising, he would become the tree of life. He is now and forevermore the tree of life that gives life, that gives water, that gives abundant life to all those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He has no dry seasons. You and I have dry seasons. Pastor Isaiah said this morning in Sabbath school, if you're not walking the abundant life, that's your fault. Christ is here. Come to me, all who are hungry and thirsty, and you will never hunger nor never thirst. Come to Christ. Are you wrestling with, with um, trouble? Come to Christ. Are you wrestling with um, depression and anxiety? Come to Christ. Are you wrestling with fear? Come to Christ. Christ will never cease to satisfy. And in the new creation, we will never find ourselves lacking or in need. Every desire of the soul will be satisfied in Christ. His leaves are given, given for the healing of the nations. We who are once dead in sin and in trespass, come to the healer. Come to the mender of broken hearts. Find restoration for your soul. One theologian says, though we depart from this life often battered and bowed down, we will receive in the life to come the completion, the complete restoration of our body and soul. It's given to us in this tree and by this water. It's given to us by our triune God in Christ. There's no created thing that could possess such honor. No created thing that could, reset, that could receive such power and glory. He is positioned in the middle of the city. And he is there to be exalted by all. 
He was crucified, wasn't he? As a spectacle on a hill in front of all to see. He was he was put to death by by the Romans with a with the death of a slave. All who passed him wagged their face at him. He was put upon a tree so that he could be mocked and ridiculed. And so that the scriptures could be fulfilled. Cursed is the man who hangs on the tree. But in the new creation. Christ will be the center of our exaltation. He will be the center of our worship. He who died as a slave. Sets slaves free. He who was mocked shall be lauded and worshipped. And he who hung upon a tree perfected it so that he could be the source of abundant life to a number that is greater than the sand on the seashore. You remember what we will sing in the new creation. And they will cry out with a loud voice saying, Revelation 7, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And in worship we will give the sevenfold worship. Amen. Blessing and honor and wisdom and thanksgiving and, and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. There is a river and a tree that make the people of God glad. It is the triune God. There is an abundant life that belongs to you now. And when you see God, it will be perfected and made whole. It belongs to you now. And when you see God, which we'll get to in two weeks, the beatific vision, God help me. When you see God, that which you have now will reach its full completion. You have water now. You have Christ now. I say to all who have ears to hear from the youngest to the oldest. Come and taste this water. and See that God is good. Come and take of this fruit. And see that Christ satisfies and nourishes. Know that in the new creation. That which we now know will be perfected. But you have it now. Put on Christ, as Pastor Isaiah said last week. Put on Christ. Walk in this abundant life. And make no provision for the flesh. The abundant life, water and tree, is ours in Christ. Let us pray.